When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've got road works going on in my street and the internet's been poor for a few days, so that's why. Um, I just got new internet as well, so mine won't cut as well. Yeah, we'll try our best to get through this episode if we can. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 18 questions. Okie doke. How many points a lot of Villa to be on at this stage of the season? <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined this morning bright and early by Patrick Rowe. Pat, it's been a while since you and me have done a show together. How are you? Are you okay? I'm good, you? Yeah, it's been a while. I can't remember the last time I was I was on here. It must be like a pre-season one or something. I haven't done any post-match ones, have I? There's not been much to talk about with you. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I ran a 10K the other day. My first one I've done for well over 18 months or so. I've really got out of the habit of doing doing stuff like that. So uh, hamstrings are still a little bit tight, um, to be honest. But, yeah, I've we, only uh, just recovered. We I did mine on yeah. Tuesday. I did it really slow and steady, but after I finished, I was like, oh, that was difficult in parts. We're going to do a Q&A today. Obviously, it's an international break, so there's not massive amounts to talk about. We've still not heard anything as of recording this about Bubakar Kamara's injury so hopefully that doesn't date the podcast whenever that does happen big sigh there from you it's not it's not great is it Villa saying uh, you know wish you a speedy recovery without any kind of information on how long he's out for by the That's way which is very annoying we're assuming it's, like we have to like sacrifice that. a win if we get a win we have to sacrifice one of our good players so yeah can we just wrap Wendia or Coutinho or Watkins in bubble wrap if we win well, the next we won't win games <laughs> I've got 18 questions from social media on Twitter YouTube and, and a couple off Instagram as well and um, some of these are kind of generic Aston Villa talking points a few about Steven Gerrard and, and tactics and stuff like that do you want to start Pat I've sent you these list of questions do you want to start in the order that I've sent them to you or do you want me to go random selection I haven't wrote anything down or anything so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've just got them in front of me so you can just go in whatever order you want to do really the first one from Andrew Southall he says what is required and is it even possible to get Aston Villa to be as good as the 80-82 team i.e. win the league and Champions League is it money a manager or quality of players now my initial reaction to that question was all three <laughs> yeah all three you probably need all three but it's growing increasingly more difficult, isn't it, to be competitive in football without splashing a hundred million every transfer window? At I least, think, yeah. Yeah, like Newcastle have just bought that fifty million Isak striker. Looks good, but it's still not come together, and they're a point ahead of us. Mm. So, and like they're deemed to be having a good season and whatnot. But I think the positives from there are coming from their style of play, and that comes with the manager. I think Villa, although we're a point behind them, everyone's like issues with it as they're not really seeing a style of play. We transitioned from trying to dominate teams to back to the early days of Gerard. So yeah, I'm not really sure. You probably do need a combination of all three. And I'm not sure how many of those will I have currently. Argue that we've got money with the we've got money. We've got, yeah, we've got you, money. But you've got to invest it right. You've got to yeah, buy yeah. the right players. It needs to gel, exactly. it needs to click. Um, I don't know who it was talking about the other day saying about uh, a team of individuals versus an actual team and it's the unit yeah. of the team that, that makes a makes a side click together. You know, it's all well and good buying three or four talented players for 50 million each but they've got to click into yeah. a team and, and work together to actually achieve anything. I mean, Leicester City have given us hope 
the fans that aren't of a side that is an elite club, a Man City, Liverpool, Man United, etc., that there is hope that you know a freak season can happen and you can win the league. That's part of me that reads that first opening question. Thinks, are we ever going to win the Champions League? Like I, I'd say, like I just, before I die, I want to see us win like a bit of silverware. I'd take a league cup, never mind the Champions League or the yeah, Premier League. But yeah, in terms of the overall standard of football, I feel like there's just been a transition in the past few years. It's like Pep Guardiola, City, and Liverpool trying to compete with them as well, where mm. it's just a lot more top heavy, isn't it? And you get all this Europa, European Super League, and whatnot. And it's just becoming more top-heavy, so I think it's only going to get more difficult. And then you look at the teams around us improving. Mm. So just breaking into like the Champions League, as you said, is going to get more difficult as well. Let alone winning it and competing with the super teams. So yeah, even even you've got the the, the traditional top six, and you've got the likes of us, Newcastle, West Ham, <laughs> that, that all want to be up there. Brighton, um, Wolves. You know, to even get into the top eight feels like a, a, a difficult yeah. task at the moment, never mind into into Europe, European football, Champions League. And then you say, once you get into it, you've got to compete and go in all the way. It just sounds mental, yeah. doesn't it? The more we talk about it, the more I think we're never, ever going to win the Champions League or probably even get yeah. to it. Second question then from Blakey. This was on Instagram, I think. Um, Favourite player so far this season? See, if I said Watkins, I'd just get rinsed by like anonymous football accounts. <laughs> just no, like, no, that. I don't want to say Watkins because I... I He's been good, he's been solid, but obviously it's been difficult for him because I don't think we can pick him just because he's just had little to do because we just don't create anything. I think we're second mm. bottom in terms of creation. My one would be Kamara. I just like watching him play football. It's a really nice thing to watch. I'm going to be absolutely devastated if he's got any form of devastating injury. Because <laughs> I've got a friend who's a physio and um, they've got he's a Wolves fan and they've got that Sasha, I don't know how to say his... The big, the big tall striker, yeah, big, big tall striker, yeah. And he went down off the ball at half time and he grimaced. Then he was like, Oh, that doesn't look good. He said mm. it from a mile away. He looked at the Diego Carlos one and was like, That doesn't look good. It's like off the ball landing. And then he messaged me when Kamara, I wasn't even, I hadn't even taken it in. I thought it was a clash of knees or something. Mm-hmm. And he messaged me and said, That doesn't look good at all. So that's just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, no, in the same way that Villa tweet uh, yeah. a post saying speedy recovery, your mate saying that doesn't look good. That's also a translation for bad injury. Two, we signed two Champions League quality players and they both go down within the first seven games and then we're mm. back to the same squad that finished 14th last season. So annoying. <laughs> yeah. I just can't get over it. But yeah, watching him play football was a joy to watch if he is out for a prolonged amount of time now. Um he just looks Champions League quality, game on free transfer. Undoubtedly, we probably will have to sell him in the next two to three years if we don't progress. Oh, boo, Pat Rowe, But we, we make a big I think it'd be a, a 60, between 60 and 80 million pound player. He kept going the way he was. Um, yeah, he'd be my player of the season. But it's a uh, it's a tough selection. <laughs> As you were talking now, I'm, I'm racking my brain through the other 12, 13, 14 players that have featured and thinking... Oh, none of these, none of these really are standing out to me. Uh, so I've, I've semi gone for Taro Mings as probably the second yeah, best performer sure. of the season so far. I've kind of, few, I've done a few posts already, and I've seen others say the same of him, kind of back to his best and winning 100 percent of his jewels and all those kind of things mm-hmm. at the weekend. I've always liked Mings. I, I like to see him kind of fight back against the um, the critics and stuff, which you know there's been a lot of them. Yeah, he's been deserved as well at times as well. Some of it, the, the criticism of him, so for him to come back and start the season well, when he was probably going to be displaced by Diego Carlos in the first place. Um, and obviously now he's back in the side because of 
because of that injury anyway. But uh, him playing well is good for Aston Villa and, and good for him personally as well. So that question, we've not started this podcast the best, have we really? We probably should have gone random. We've gone depressing ever. We'll never win a trophy. And then we can't even pick a favourite player. The third question is from James Child. He says, if you were to sign a new player in each position, so one defender, one midfielder and one forward, who would your players be? Now, I sent you these questions in advance of this podcast this morning in the hope that you might have done a bit of prep. You said at the start you hadn't written anything down. <laughs> um, but have you got three names for me? How do we want to take this? Should we do realistic? And I, In my head, I went realistic because no okay. one wants to hear me say that I want Hallen to be wearing clothes. <laughs> so I went with Diallo at, at the back to pair with Carlos in the long run, just like two physical centre-backs comfortable in possession. Gerard mm. wants to develop this play. He's playing out from the back. That's probably a good way to start. And then I wanted Mateus Nunez in um, midfield before Wolves got him or Enzo Fernandez or someone like that. Yeah, I'd Dream imagine one. he'll be there for a season or two and he'll yeah. be off to somewhere like Liverpool. Yeah, Dream one would be Jude Bellingham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Jude. Come back to Birmingham. <laughs> Please. I don't know where I'd go this direction. I think when we first got promoted, there was rumours of us getting linked to like Rafael Leao. I don't know how to say his name. The AC Milan guy that's been linked to Chelsea. I think he's now like worth like 80 million. But that would be like a dream transfer. I think he can play up front or out wide. But then I didn't know where to go with an actual out-and-out striker. Ones we'd linked to have been never really like set the world alight, really, in my opinion. They've had some of like Suarez, Raul Thomas. I thought they'd just have all the same problems that... Um, the current strikers at Villa have. We all talk about this 20-goal-a-season striker, pretty like elusive in the Premier League, but Danny Ings has done it and we just can't supply him and we can't supply Watkins because we don't, we can't create for him. So mm. I don't think, I think you could put a lot of people up front and they'd have the same issues, to be honest. Yeah, the three names I went for and I went for the route of fancy, not to the extremes of a Haaland and a Jude Bellingham, yeah. um, <laughs> but players that probably will never sign for Villa, but you know, it'd be nice. Uh, I went Kilman for the centre-half, from another Good Wolves pick. Um, I think he's 25. I don't think it would ever happen. I think he'll get a move out, outside of Wolves yeah. at some point, but I don't think it'll be us. Uh, Tielemans is the midfielder, someone who is obviously linked away from Leicester a lot in, in the summer just gone and will be available in January and then on free in the summer if he doesn't agree with anyone in, in January. And then striker, I certainly don't see this happening. I mean, it would absolutely have to break the bank. Tammy Abraham, the return, bring him back, bring home Tommy, etc. Et 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 but you were right with what you just said before we before we revealed our names. It's the service behind the strikers that is the problem. Like you said, you could put Ronaldo or Messi up, up front in that yeah. team. And if you've got John McGinn and Ramsey behind them, supplying them with absolutely nothing, no disrespect yeah. to those two, but you know it's clearly not working. Um, it's difficult for anyone to score goals. So you know you could put anyone there and um, yeah. you'd still have some of the same problems. I don't, I don't want to go with the next question because it's also a, a negative one. Let's go with a bit of a, a fantasy one from John Hayes. He says, if, heaven forbid, Aston Villa folded keep it up with a positive theme of the podcast who would you support instead I'm intrigued to see what you say here my dad when he was at school he always tells like, he's told me this story before there was like a kid they were like young like very formative years when you're like in reception whatever it was called back then but like he was a massive blues fan and apparently he was like the bully of the school and he tried to make my dad be a blues fan and he was like, you know what? It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. So then my dad just became a Villa fan just despite him. <laughs> like his dad didn't support wow. Villa or anything. But so that's um, where the Villa connection came from in your family. Your dad spotted yeah. a bully at school. And then so it's just anything else just doesn't feel right, does it? Like I have teams that I don't mind like watching, and if they're playing someone else, I'll be like, oh, I'd rather them win than the other team. Mm. Like, but I don't have another team that I have like such a soft spot for that I'd probably support. I don't even know if I'd like football if I didn't get interested in in Villa, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Uh, probably be a glory hunter. It was a 
mean, Man United would make whatever one was back there, but I just couldn't see myself doing it, to be honest. No, I, I couldn't. I, if if Villa never existed in the first place, you would you wouldn't think yeah. oh, I'm missing out on supporting Aston Villa. So you'd just go with whoever was the local team or whoever your family supported or whatever. But to have yeah. been with Villa for 27, 26 years, and then suddenly go right, oh, they don't exist anymore. You've got to go and support somebody else. I wouldn't be able to support another Premier League side. Celtic Rangers potentially going going up to Scotland supporting one of those instead, possibly. But again, that bothered about it. European side potentially. My family were from Halesway, and I did some stuff for them a few years ago. Potentially go back there and watch them on a weekend instead. Yeah. But if Villa didn't exist, I wouldn't just then go and oh, I'm going to be a Brighton fan now. I like the way they play or. An Everton fan because they've got similar values to Villa or whatever. I just couldn't do it. It'd be weird. My uh, cousins like they stem from Liverpool, so that like my older cousin's a uh, Liverpool fan, but his younger brother is a Villa fan. Just like his, and his dad was a Liverpool fan. I don't know why he chose Villa, but he just did. Yeah, my whole family supported Villa as far as I know. On my dad's side, anyway, I've got some Albion fans on on the other side of the family, but I won't, certainly won't be able to go over there. <laughs> we have to speak to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't see them anymore. Back to football-related questions. One from Adrian. He said, "How much money do you think the owners will throw away until they bought the project?" That's quite a loaded question, really, in, in that they're implying that the transfers we spent the money on aren't good enough because they're throwing away money. And then will the lo- the owners stop spending money or lose interest or sell the club or, or whatever? Uh, how do you firstly in- interpret that question and what would your answer be to it? Ooh, how do I interpret Well, my first impression, my first thought, Dean's 29 or 30, Danny Ings is 30, Coutinho's 30, Diego Carlos 29, but he's out for a year, going to be 30. They win now moves. It's not long before you have to like probably recycle these transfers and get kind of a team with an average age of like 32, <laughs> can you? So... Yeah, these players are either at their peak now or approaching their peak or or just past it to be honest. How much more how much how, how much are they splash on the, the squad currently? You got twenty seven on Dean. 20. I think it's something like four hundred million spent since they came to the club or something like that. And obviously we had to build a side when we got promoted. We spent a lot of money in the summer of twenty twenty with Watkins, Martinez, Cash, etc. We spent money on uh, Coutinho, Dean in terms of wages and stuff, Kamara, Carlos. I'm sure it's, I don't know whether the figures are correct because transfers are always overinflated, but even say 300 million as a, as a massive kind of under going underneath is, is still a hell of a lot of money. And for what, you know, what what have they got yeah, for that investment? A side that is now in the Premier League and should still be in the Premier League for the foreseeable and, and not be at risk, risk of going down again, mm-hmm. which isn't as easy as just saying, oh, yeah, Villa won't be relegated because they're too good for that. Because, you know, look at somebody like Leicester sat, sat rock bottom and West Ham have struggled and, and Everton, like these sides are, should be good enough to stay up and can still find themselves in trouble. So, yeah, they've got to start seeing something, whether that's silverware or top 10 finishes European okay. qualification to, to see progress and keep investing money year on year. Um, so kind of they'll stick around for as long as the football is good enough to, to deserve their, their backing, I guess. There's like a, a weird like trade-off, isn't there? Because I think Villa are probably going to start getting results now on the run we've got. But the Hope style so. of play isn't going to be there that people are going to be happy with it. And I don't know mm. if the owners would look at that in the same way or they take the fact that Gerard could just grind out Five one nil wins in a row. Oh, we've got Leeds away, Forest coming up, and what like that could feasibly be exactly like the Southampton game where people we walk away with three points, but people are still left with like a bad taste in their mouth after the game. Mm. And it's like, yeah, we won, but how long can we keep this up for? And what it was really great. And this doesn't look like a three hundred million pound squad playing football. It, mm. The game against Southampton looked like two teams that like I've read it on Twitter like relentlessly. It's two teams that didn't want the ball. We just didn't have really an identity. 
going forward. We're really stagnant in the final third. We've got so much quality and so much creativity, but none of it comes through in our style of play at all. <laughs> and it's it's quite worrying at times. Um, so yeah, if that's what three hundred million buys you, I, I don't know how long more we can keep throwing money at it and still thinking that's going to solve our problems. To be honest, so there's a point mm. in time where I, I was I was telling someone about it. it was like next game Bailey will probably be dropped, but probably start for Buendia or something or sooner or later or it'll swap Coutinho out Coutinho out sooner or later you can have to give one of these players an extended run in the, in the team to just like gain, gain some momentum gain some form but I'm not because it's never working and we're never clicking in the final third I'm not sure anyone's ever going to get that run and yeah so it's all very short term just grinding that results but in the long term I don't know how the owners would view it to be honest because Villa fans aren't happy <laughs> the fact that we've not really developed as a side after those signings is worrying I'm wondering if there'll be another transition away from that or they'll just keep going for that kind of method of transfers, to be honest. Yeah, it'll be interesting. There's a few questions about tactics, um, so we can probably kind of put these together. First one from Bolg McTavish, which is a great name. He says, what are our tactics? Have they evolved and where are they going? AKA, do we have a plan? And then a follow-up from, from Regan Linacore McCarthy, which is, again, a great name. Um, will Stephen Gerald's tactics change in the foreseeable? Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, what are our tactics? And if they aren't good enough, will Steven Gerrard change them, do you think? I'm actually resting my laptop right now on the book of Steven Gerrard's tactics, <laughs> which I haven't read yet, which I probably should have. But it felt like when we when he first came in, you were just going to be met by like three banks of a narrow formation. You had that narrow front three, pre- forcing the ball out wide to the full-backs, and then McGinn and Ramsey would go pressure the full-backs and try and force like a, a turnover of possession in their their half of the pitch. It looked solid. Uh, everyone's working really well in like for the, for the whole system, the shape. Um, we looked defensively solid, didn't we? Against Palace, Brighton. We even we could have got a result against City if Carney had buried that chance. Liverpool, we were undone by a penalty decision. All those games were kind of the early days from the Gerrard era for me. That I remember, like Gerard said, he might have been guilty of like trying to do too much too soon or whatever mm-hmm. it was in that interview after Southampton. It seemed like he wanted to progress the team into a like a more. I think we were averaging like sixty three percent possession. He wanted to progress the team into a more like dominant side and like model it on Liverpool or or City, the bigger sides in the league. And it just didn't go to plan, did it? It felt like we sacrificed all our shape for the sake of trying to. I think he, he tries to create triangles in the final third, like Ramsey, the full-backs, and one of the inside forwards. And it just leads to us having no midfield, doesn't it? Like the gaps mm. against Bournemouth, Crystal Palace were just ridiculous. So he's probably had to bite the bullet there and sacrifice it. But I'm not sure where he goes from here, to be honest. I think he's going to persist with his 4-3-3 that's quite narrow. Everyone's calling out for a 4-2-3-1, but I don't know if that goes out the window now, if Kamara's injured. Or if you play Dendonker and Louise, I, I don't know where he goes from. I can't see a change of formation that dramatic. I think he'll just stick at it. And if he's getting one nil wins, he'll just go. Oh, I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> so um, if, is that good? Is that good enough for you as a fan? Do you take that? Are you happy if we win? But you don't. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. It's the win ugly thing, isn't it? If you're yeah. winning and you're, you're not playing well, does it really matter? I mean, Villa winning on Friday did really improve my weekend. Like yeah. it did put me in a good mood. Like I couldn't find it in myself to be like, "Well, that was shocking. That was a terrible game of football." It was a terrible game of football, but yeah, it was pretty drab. But we won. We got three points. We we're like up the table. I was, I was just happy for that. 
Um, but long term, that isn't sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're playing poorly, you don't keep winning. At some point, yeah, you exactly. play poorly and lose. But that Southampton game in isolation, we played better than that and yeah. lost or, or, yeah. or drawn a game. So yeah. to get over the line and win and get a much, much needed three points is kind of a good short-termism yeah. thing at the moment. But you won't be able to keep that up. If you're playing poorly, you don't win games consistently. Yeah, exactly. It's, I come back to the Spurs game at Villa Park last season. I thought that was one of the best halves of football we played under Gerrard in the first half. Yeah, Coutinho looked on fire. We lost 4-0. But yeah, that was nice football to watch at times. And it could have been a very different result and Spurs got quite lucky, I thought. Um, but yeah, it's that trade-off, isn't it? I think, obviously, it's a results-based industry, isn't it? So Gerrard would, would rather grind out the 1-0s and Villa fans would rather win than not. But as you say, is it sustainable for the club? to play this mind-numbing football at times for the foreseeable future because it is mind-numbing there's no movement in the final third I was watching when I was watching in Southampton Dean would get the ball or Bailey would get the ball or whoever was out wide there'd be three players approaching them of Southampton players closing them down everyone's just stood looking out there not making a run forward and it's stagnant. Everyone stood still, waiting for someone else to do a bit of mo- a moment of magic or something. Mm. There's little flashes where Dean does make a run, or Ramsey makes a run in behind, or Watkins makes a run in behind, and or Buendia at the end. Buendia th- tried to thread a pass to Watkins, I think, or Ings, and I think it just cut 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 out. Mm. Um, there's flashes of it, and the flashes that are exciting are when we're making runs and there's movement, but when there's not, for which is the vast majority of the game, it is. It is a tough one. <laughs> this is off topic a little bit. After the Man City game, if we'd have played Leicester and beat them, would we have seen a better performance with more confidence against That's Southampton? True. Possibly. Um, but now you look at it and just go, oh, it's four points from, from two games. You've got a break now to to recover. Play against Leeds and you play well and you win. And then you've got Forest mm-hmm. as well and potentially get something there as well. You could be looking at a mini run there of Villa getting mm-hmm. 10 points from 12, 12 available and playing well in a couple as well. And that really will change the mood. Yeah. Obviously, the flip side of that is if you come out of the international break and look cold and get beat by Leeds and Forest, Gerald probably won't be here after that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're on a knife edge at all times. <coughs> it's it's going to go one of two ways. And there are questions yeah. about Gerald, and we'll, we'll come to those in a little bit. There's a question here. There's two actually from Matt Kendrick, who obviously isn't here. So I'm going to text him. I'm going to text him on air, and we'll we'll wait for him to reply. Uh, the first one from Wally, which I like the name. Uh, what is Matt Kendrick having for his tea? Well, he actually put dinner. But I assume that means tea. Are you a breakfast, dinner, tea man? I'm a breakfast, breakfast lunch, lunch, tea. A lunch, tea? Lunch, tea. That makes even less sense. No, that's always been breakfast, lunch, tea. Surely it's breakfast, lunch, dinner. dinner is the opposite no, one. I never used the word dinner. Okay, so I'm breakfast, dinner, tea. I am, <laughs> and I assume Kendrick's the same. So I'm going to text him and ask him what he's having for tea. And there's a second question asking why, I think it's from Omar, uh, why is there only one T in Matt? And he said it a few times. I think he said about it, you know, why is there why is there any need for it? It still sounds the same with one T or two T, so why hog an extra letter? <laughs> I think that'll be his answer. So I'm gonna text him and we'll see what he replies with. Um I'll go to a football like question for you from Daniel Clissett. Can we talk about the Villa women's fantastic performance against Man City? What a game that was. I don't know whether you saw any of it, but I know that Man City played Villa a couple of seasons ago and Villa looked nowhere near it. Um, so to, for them to start their season at Villa Park in front of a decent sized crowd, the women doing the job and, and winning the game from from three two down. Uh, yeah, great start to the season for them. Yeah, solid start. Good attendance as well. I think it was over 6,000. I've seen a, two of the goals. One of them was unreal. I like, whipped it in, but she wasn't even facing goal at the uh, the time either, I think. I think it was daily. Um, I got 
asked if I wanted to cover that game as well because Breach are starting to cover it. Mm. Um, yeah, the women's league a bit more this season, which is good. But I couldn't because I was already working. I think. But yeah, it's nice to see and. Uh, yeah, it's just kick-starting from um, the Euros, isn't it? Yeah, um, we've had a few questions before in the past about doing like a Villa, a Villa women's podcast, but you, know, you and me haven't seen the game, so it's difficult and it's not right for us to try and wing our way through it and we don't want to do it in injustice. And we have talked about potentially doing a, a Villa women's podcast maybe once a month and getting somebody in from the the women's side. or We guess whoever goes and covers it could... Whoever's covering it for us from a work perspective, yeah, getting them on maybe to do like a monthly review or something. So it's, you know, we've talked about it, but there's no kind of imminent plans for that. Villa fan 07. Now, I assume 07 is the year they were born. So that's that makes them very young, doesn't it? That makes them 15 years old. That 15 year old Arsenal player, yeah, that made even me feel old. But hey, that made you feel old, didn't it? Made me feel old. Yeah, yeah, I think how I felt then. I was on a France trip with school when he was born. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Uh, He said, in hindsight, were the transfer we made a massive mistake in terms of quality and quantity? Again, it feels a little bit like a loaded question, a massive mistake. I don't know whether I'll go that far because Kamara and Louise, uh, Kamara and Carlos getting injuries is unfortunate. If they were both fit and rare to go, I think they're two very, very good signings. Yeah. Coutinho is obviously going to be question marks over his age and the, the wages that we're paying him and the fact that he's not been on form for, for however long. I think it's something like one goal contribution in 18 games or something I saw, saw after the weekend, which is I mean, it's poor for any player, never mind somebody of his his ability. Dan Donker, I think, is a, a pretty smart sign in the Bednarek as a, as a backup because of the Carlos injury, I think, and replaces Courtney Hall. So, you know, nothing really more more than that. Augustin's in a backup left back. Yeah. Is it the window we were we were hoping for to spend 100, 150 million and sign a, a big name, you know, an Isaac player to play up front for 60 odd million? No. Could it have been good enough to bridge the gap and get Villa into the top half? Possibly yes. Um, so would I say massive mistake? I don't think so. Um, but room for, for improvement? Yes. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a massive mistake. No. Um, as you say, the vast majority of the Apart from Kamara and Carlos, the others were just like squad depth, just putting out fires, weren't they? We might have to see a lot more of um, Dendonka now if Kamara is down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just can't, you couldn't actually couldn't write the fact that you buy two players, you focus your transfer window on these two players and you work fast to get both of them in early in the window and then they both go down with devastating injuries within mm. the first eight games. Kamara isn't confirmed yet, but we're assuming it's going to be at least a couple of months. Devastating. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I actually can't wrap my head around it. I'd be good to lose him for three or four weeks, never mind six months. Cash has also got that hamstring injury. Didn't he miss the end of the 2020-2021 season with a hamstring injury that just kept going on and couldn't recover from it? And I know Young's good, but how long can a 37 year old keep up that form like mm. it's going to I know this break's going to be good for him but they, I think the games come thick and fast in October uh, before the World Cup the decision to let Kane Kessler Hayden and Exile Gilbert is probably going to come back to bite us at some point as well but yeah I wouldn't call it a mistake you just can't account for that kind of thing happening in football to be honest it's just terrible terrible luck well we kind of have accounted to it to an extent haven't we because sure. Kamal getting injured is Dendonka and Carlos getting injured is Bednarek so we kind Do of you know what I found it. weird though is that when Kamara went off, 
injured. It looked as if Dendonka was playing as like an eight and Louise mm. was still in his number six. And I was like, surely, I know Dendonka has played there for Wolves and he isn't like a genuine CDM. Like, you know, of the two players, you push Louise further forward and it just seemed to me like Louise was in his usual role. Maybe Gerard just wanted someone he knows can play there. But yeah, it just seemed a bit hard. I've got a quiz question for the next question. This is from AVFC mm. agent Gerard, who said, the last Villa player to score a hat-trick. Now, I did send you these list of questions before, but I purposely left this one off so you couldn't go away and Google it. So can you remember the last Aston Villa player to score a hat-trick? In the senior side? For the for, uh, Yes, for the senior men's side. Cameron Archer? Cameron Archer against Barrow? Surely it's Cameron Archer against Barrow. Well... I haven't got the answer for this from uh, the guy that asked the question, but I did message AVFC Stato and I said, this is it's easier for me to message you than it is to Google it because you'll have the answer far quicker than I'll be able to find it. Yeah. So he sent me the list of Aston Villa hat-tricks in order of date in the uh, top division since 1993. He said, if you want to be picky, it's technically Cameron Archer against Barrow, though I've only got Premier League here. So technically, yeah. you are right. Cameron yeah, Archer was right. the last player to score a hat My mind went to Ollie Watkins against Liverpool, but it's Archer, isn't it? Senior yeah, the, the correct answer in terms of the Premier League is Ollie Watkins against Liverpool, the 4th of October, 2020, uh, at Villa Park. Um, can you remember the one before that, testing your knowledge? This is 2015, and then the one before that is 2013. 2015 has to be Benteke QPR. Yeah, Benteke QPR. Can you remember the one before that? Sorry, it's Benteke against Sunderland. Correct, yeah, Benteke against Sutherland. That's one of my favourite games, Rumpler's Screamer. Yeah, yeah, Benteke against Sutherland, 29th of April 2013, another April hat-trick there. Um, Yeah, Yeah. 6-1, I think that was. So thanks to AVFC Stato for the knowledge on there and AVFC Agent Gerard for that question. While we were doing that quiz question, which I've probably had to edit down because that took a long time to get through, but today, (laughs) good knowledge from you, you did get it. Um, Matt replied... And then he sent me a voice note. So I'm going to play the voice note now and I'll edit that into the podcast and make it sound nice. And if it sounds rubbish to you, I'll just read out what he said. So let's play this voice note and see what he says. Hello, Daniel. In response to your question of what I'm having for my tea, um, I'm going to my in-laws and having a buffet-style tea um, because they're putting on a little wake following the Queen's funeral. Um, Sausage rolls, pork pie, a few crisps. Um, um, a few sandwiches um, and your other question was um, I don't know why the two are related to be honest but the other question was why is my name spelled with one T rather than two my dad dad can't spell basically my dad went to <laughs> register my birth many years ago um, and thought Matthew was spelled with two T's rather than one uh, to just put one on the birth certificate um, and I'm unique alright see you later bye bye so there we go. That's why there's only one T. Matt Kendrick's father couldn't spell the name. Um, it also gives away that we're recording this very, very early on Monday morning. Um, so yeah, buffet tea, nice. Um, do you know what you're very having, nice. by the way? It's very early, isn't it, to be just talking about what we're having for tea? I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to football then. Uh, let's get rid of these ones off our, my list. Uh, let's stick with a bit of nostalgia, actually, before we get into the last couple about Steven Gerrard. From Anthony Davis, he says, Growing up, my favourite player was Angel, because I thought he was a goal machine. And at my second Villa game, he scored the winner. Who was your favourite player growing up and why? Now, how old are you, for reference? I'm 23. You're 23. I'm 26. Yeah, 26. I was born in 95, so you were, were you 98. <laughs> Not yet, yeah. Not yet. Okay, so we're going to the football in the mid 2000s, I guess. Um, so my kind of first season ticket was O'Neill's first season, I think. Uh, I had a very 
kind of slim interest in Villa before I actually started going. I'll let you go first, but that's the kind of reference in, in terms of our age for people watching and why we're not going to pick somebody like Stan Collin or whatever. We're not old enough for that. Nah, my, mine, like you said, when I was growing up, I didn't have a season ticket until the Paul Lambert years. It was oh, wow. a terrible time to yeah. start getting one, and that's why I didn't carry on. <laughs> well, my dad just was like, we can't afford to do this. It's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not worth ruining our weekends for. Um but yeah, like I always thought it was great going to Villa. I'd go to Villa a lot, I just wouldn't have a season ticket. I think my first game was an FA Cup game against Burnley and Kevin Phillips scored. I think we had a goal disallowed as well, but I just thought it was great. I just thought mm. it was the best place in the world. Went from there. My first shirt I got, well, not my first shirt, my first name I had on the shirt was Barros, and then he literally left a few <laughs> a few like, weeks after. And my oh, dad, God. like, I think my dad went and bought it when O'Neill came in. And then like he went to it and he watched the car drive past and came back with it and had Barros on the end. And then I refused to go to the villa in it. So we tried to hair dry his name off, like get a hair dryer. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going if his name's on there. I hate him. Oh, love that. Um, but I quickly, you know, warmed to John Carew, but he wasn't my favourite. My favourite was Agbar Lahore. I just thought he was great. I loved how fast he was. Mm. I, I loved the number 11. I just, and he'd always be on my shirt on those. I think it was the away kit with like the blue pinstripes with 32 red on. I, I got his name on that one. Um, uh, it's like the early like Nike Mercurial boots as well. He used to wear like lime green. I just thought it was great. Yeah. Um, I think I remember him scoring the first goal. I watched him score was like a terrible, terrible goal against Wigan Athletic. And he just like bundled it in, and we'd gone one nil down to an Emil Heskey goal as well. And I was just like, this is it. This is prime. <laughs> and I was like seven. But yeah, it was Gabby scoring against Blues. And then, like, like, still growing up when he went through his rough patch and whatnot, I was still quite young and I didn't like read into the news as much. I just never understood why anyone disliked him, but <laughs> you start to read a bit more about it now. But I still have a soft spot for him. Gabby's a good shout. Um, we're similar ish in age. Uh, when I started going, would have been around that O'Neill time as well, like I just said. So, Gabby, Ashley Young, another one, absolutely mm. love John Carew, Barry, Milner, had, you know, real soft spots for. But going back a little bit earlier than that, Larson and Melberg were the two playing mm. together. Big kind of big headers. I didn't play a lot of football when I was a kid, but always liked going in for a tackle and going up for big headers and stuff with me big fat head. So yes. um, Larson powering up from the centre from a, from the halfway line, knocking back every goal kick and stuff, winning every header. Uh, yeah, headers with corners and stuff line. as well. Yeah, always at the back, rock solid. Melberg as well, good, great, great, great player. Great scoring goals, great beard as well. Yeah, great so beard. jealous of the beard. I'd love, I'd love Mel. We tried to get Melberg on the podcast at some point, but he didn't fancy it. So yeah, Larson would be my pick. Um, yeah, that goal against Ajax. I don't know what year that was in, in the Euro, was that Europa League? Yeah, Europa League. Yeah. That would have been 2007, eight, something like that. Yeah, yeah. great, great memories. So Larson or Melberg for me, I'll go. Special mention to uh, Marlon Harewood. Uh, really? No reason to hero. whatsoever, but just did really like Marlon Harewood. Yeah. Feed the hair and he will score. <laughs> will he? <laughs> Maybe. Will he? <laughs> one in ten. We'll go one kind of podcasty related question before we finish with the Gerard chat. So if anyone's tuning in to this for Gerard questions, thanks for sticking to the end for it. These were kind of semi random order. Um, from Shimmy Recordings, who said, Can you host a fan phone in podcast in the future? It'd be a great way to interact with your subscribers and have good debates. Um, it's probably a question for me, more so rather than you. This kind of yeah. twofold this, the answers to this question. Logistically, difficult to get people recording at the same time. 
um, is is one part to it. Obviously, we've done a Q and A here, asking for questions on different social media channels. Mm-hmm. We've narrowed it down to 15, 20 questions, whatever it was, and we can kind of do that in our own time and, and get people's questions together. So, do a fan phone in and have fifteen to twenty people, or be able to record their kind of five minute segment at the same time where it doesn't take up an entire day for me to, to jump on yeah. and record with people is also logistically difficult. Um, wouldn't be able to do it live because I'd be worried about people coming on and you know, being jokers. <laughs> or weirdo. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Shut <laughs> your mouth. I love that. Yeah, just being abusive or lots of swearing or whatever. Like I'm not, I wouldn't want to be censoring people's football's opinions just because I disagree with them. But having people on that I haven't kind of, vetted i guess to to not come on and be racist or whatever is is um is difficult so it would take a lot of work but it is something that we've talked about and something that i would like to try and do it's just mm-hmm. uh, organizing the logistics of it the only other thing is the technical side of it as well have they got a working webcam is the audio going to be okay have they got a decent like talk sport, yeah just up. audio yeah 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 definitely... phone call there look it did work. Yeah, like a voice note. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Neil from the for love for the love of Paul McGraw podcast has done a phone in episode recently, so I assume this is where this kind of question has come from. They've they've seen it elsewhere, so it's something we've definitely spoken about before. And we'll, we will try and do it at some stage. It would be nice to do it with cameras and stuff, and get you know you can put like eight people on these streamyard chats yeah. so to get people on at the same time would be good as well, and have them chat amongst each other. But again doing that and, and trying to hope that no one says anything offensive or anything is is is, is difficult. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, the last kind of non-football question I've got. The other two are about Steven Gerrard. So there's one long one and one short one. We'll start with a long one. And we said at the start of this podcast, which to me has felt quite upbeat. I felt like we've laughed a lot through this and we've had we've it. We've saved had a good it. Yeah, a lot of kind of negative questions and negative topics, but hopefully we've tried to make it semi-entertaining at least. But this question comes from Grim Reaper. <laughs> this is always, it's going to go in one direction. <laughs> so yeah, you might expect where this is going. Do you really believe Gerard is the man to take us forward? I feel there's a lot of fans that are only looking at Gerard game by game and not at the bigger picture. He has not been good enough and Newcastle, Brighton, Brentford have already overtaken us, not just in position, but by their style of play and identity. And it's going to be t- even tougher to fight for a European place with these progressive teams doing much better than us. Each year we don't progress, it's going to become harder to fight for Europe. In my opinion, the summer was extremely underwhelming. I feel really disconnected with the club. They've increased the prices of nearly everything. And the funny thing is, the performances on the pitch are a joke. So again, quite a, load, a loaded, heavy, kind of negative opinion there from the Grim Reaper, which, you know, you expect nothing less. But a lot of things in there, you know, in an alternative universe, that's a comment I've probably written to a podcast somewhere. Yeah. Maybe not that extreme. So I don't I don't agree with everything there. But I've spoken before about that feeling, that disconnect with the club when it when things aren't yeah. going right and just feeling all kind of down and, and negative about it all. So you know, I don't want to kind of poo-poo the opinion completely. Um but the main question there, I guess, is do you really believe Gerald is the man to take us forward and are we doing enough to, to show progress? So what do you think of, of Stephen Gerard so far? Almost a year in now. Obviously, there's big doubts surrounding him, isn't there, which are completely justified and whatnot, and people are allowed to think that. But um, I, I liked his interviews after the Southampton game. I liked mm-hmm. him opening up about Mings. I liked him... Okay, I think people probably look at that Mings now and go, oh, that's probably... That makes probably worked, yeah. But yeah. if you had said that at the first time, <laughs> maybe we wouldn't need to have all this noise around the situation, would we? I like how he opened up about trying to 
maybe do too much too soon, trying to run before we we'd even started walking type thing. There is like a way for him to like, no, I don't know how to word it. Like he's willing to change type thing, but yeah, it's where compromise. you go from here. Yeah, compromise. He's, he's not like, uh, he's not stubborn, too stubborn to know this is how we're doing it my way. If it doesn't work, I'll just go down with the ship. Um, it's just where we go from here, to be honest. Like fans are only going to settle for this. As I said, this, I think he's used the word progressive somewhere there. We're not a progressive side right now, are we? We are a makeshift side. Yeah, you can grind out the results now, but it's not sustainable, as we've said. So the next bit for me is quite a big deal, what he does now, how he works for the team, how he develops this and moves on from this, because you can't just switch back. Like, okay, we've had a few results. Now we're going to go back to Gavin, 60% possession, doing nothing with it, 0.3 XG or whatever it was, mm. and just be in this endless loop of, get a few results because we sit back and counter teams or and lock the door and then try and be more expansive and get absolutely blown to smithereens i understand the feeling disconnected from the club but i did enjoy the win the other day i did yeah feel, i did yeah. yeah i did feel connected with the club again like watching jj tap that in i just i loved it i loved the celebrations i loved mings the whole game the passion mm-hmm. it was all there for me i loved um, the after the ma- the post match scenes as well. Do you think we've got the players, or Gerard's got the players to play the way he wants to play? Do you think that's what his comments are alluding to? That we, we're trying to change too much here at one go, and we're not ready for it. And when you've lost Kamara now for however long, and Diego Carlos, when you've signed players to improve the squad, and now they're not available, that's just bad luck to a certain extent. But I'll say what I've said a, a million times before: a good coach should still be able to get better out of the players that we've got. Yeah, one hundred percent. Obviously, our squad. Shouldn't be floundering down in fifteenth, fourteenth, and neither should Leicester's and West Ham's and Everton's. <laughs> that's just the, the nature of the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, it's obviously not clicking the way he wants it to, but there was time for us to sign extra players if he wanted them. I, mm. I'm not sure. Like, we did sign obviously Den Dunker and Bednarek, but as you said, the underwhelming thing there. It wasn't the transfer window many had hoped for. I thought personally we'd break the bank and break our. Record transfer record on a midfielder like a number eight, mm. um, but it never came to fruition. But yeah, I can see why people are underwhelmed. But I, I don't know. I don't know where to go with it. I'm sure I have to cut that bit out. But I, I don't. I don't know where they go no. from it with this. I think, I think all you've said is fair, and the mood very much changes quickly with results. And if you get two wins out of the next two, and you've come back from the international break strong, and people look fit and ready to go, you know, the mood changes, and we're talking about 10 points from, from 12 games, and really kind of trying to turn the corner, um, but like I said earlier, it is on a knife edge, that a couple of bad results, and it's Gerald out again, isn't it, that's that's where we are, yeah. we're going to flip-flop between the two, and it's Gerald in, Gerald out, I'd like to see a bit more consistency in terms of, of performance and results, to say, all right, let's forget all the manager manager nonsense. We know he's going to be here till the end of the season. Or he's going to have three years or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. No, football doesn't work like that. But wondering whether he's going to be sacked after a defeat or whether he's going to be here for another three games after a win, it's not a great place to be, is it? As I say, if we win, but it's the same performance as Southampton, I think Villa fans still see the through the cracks of everything. But mm. There's been a lot of comparisons to like the wins under Steve Bruce. And it's just yeah. like, is it paper and over cracks and whatnot? I don't know. I think Villa fans want to see more than just... Obviously, they want results, but they want to see more than that. They want to see a return on their support, the price increases that has happened this season, the investment in the squad, the fact that Christian Persler has pushed so heavily for continual progress. 
I think there's a broad definition of continual progress. And it, yes, it's about going up the table above 14th and obviously 11th we finished under Dean Smith. Mm-hmm. Also, the style of play, I think, is, is it intertwined into that. It's not just, oh, we need to get results. Like Burnley, we finished like, Burnley finished, what did they finish? Like ninth one season. There needs to be a style of play that rewards a £300 million investment. So I think fans are looking for that as well as results. And the final question for this podcast is from Connor Wolf. Great surname, if that's real, by the way, Wolf. Um, simple question. Do you think Steven Gerrard will be Aston Villa manager after the World Cup break? No, because he's going to be England manager after Gareth Southgate gets that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I do. I do. I think we'll continue to grind out results. Probably won't be pretty, but um, I do think he'll be the manager, yeah. It's only, like, what, when do we break up for the World Cup? November. Is it end of November? End of November, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so there's an international break. That gets you October. There's good fixtures in October, and I think that gets enough credit in the bank to get past the World Cup, mm. unless it goes terribly wrong. I think if we'd have lost against Man City and not, not beaten Southampton, I think there would have been every possibility he would have been sacked in this international break, and this podcast could have been the Gerard has been sacked podcast. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's a, a Q and A because you know we've kind of done okay and we've got something else to talk about instead. Yeah. So I think he's earned the right to still be here in charge after the World Cup, after this the last couple of games we've had. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight league games between now and the World Cup break. So there's 24 points available. How many points do you think we need to get to have considered it be worthy of still being here? Like you said, if it's a disaster and we get six points from 24 or four points from 24 or something ridiculous like that, we win one of the ace. And yeah, I think it's right that he'll be sacked by then. Um, I think there's enough good games there. Leeds, Forest, Fulham, Brentford, Newcastle, even to a certain extent, Brighton, we'll see how their new manager gets on. That there should be four wins there out of eight. Well, they're defining games, aren't they? This is this is the period to save his job, effectively. They're defining games because they're teams you need to be finishing above if if you're going to tick the box of continual progress. So you've got to get double figures minimum from those points, those games. In terms of the points, and it, I wouldn't say you have to win every single one because that's just like ooh, it's not going. That's not how football works is it? in the Premier League, especially. Like shock results happen, and wouldn't even be a shock if you lost any of those. Obviously, they're all good, solid teams. No one knows how Brighton are going to be after Potter's mm. left. Probably the same, probably better. Uh, Newcastle have been fairly underwhelming, but their style of play is, as I've said, it's quite impressive at times. It's not; just, mm. it just hasn't come together. But as we know, it always comes together when yet people play Villa. <laughs> It'll be the game. It all comes together for them. Forest, that is a must-win. Like you have to beat Forest. They are there for the taking. The minute, like they're defensively, they're quite bad. It's just not working for them. There's only three home games in that period, which concerns me a little bit. There's a lot of yeah. away games to go there. And, Obviously, Leeds and Forest are both away next. Yeah, I always get stressed out when we're on TV on mm. uh, as well because they're not Saturday games because we don't have a Saturday 3 p.m. kickoff until like January, do we? Yeah, at home. I always get caught chest out around TV. <laughs> it's our first game back to Liverpool on Boxing Day as well. Yeah, that's a three o'clock kick for Villa Park as it stands, but I don't know whether that will get changed. Yeah, Liverpool, Ooh. Tottenham, Wolves are the three after the break. I think to answer the question, it's a simple question, so there's a simple answer. Do you think Joe will be here after the World Cup? I think the answer is yes. Um, I think, And I think if he's here after the World Cup, he'll probably be here for the, the remainder of the season, unless the back half of the season is, is an absolute disaster. But I think you've got to get 
four four wins at least out of the next eight Premier League games before the World Cup. And if you chuck in a couple of draws there, uh, you've got Chelsea at Villa Park, Man United at Villa Park. You've got the Cup game as well, which are against Man United, but I would like to see us progress in that as well because I want to see us go all the way in the trophy competition. Um, I think there should be enough credit in the bank to say, right, you've earned the right to still be Aston Villa manager. If you've won two games out of eight and lost the others, then yeah. we'll probably be talking about Stephen Gerrard being sacked at Christmas. But we'll talk about that if and when it happens. I think that's all the questions I got noted down. Um, so thanks to everyone who contributed and, and led the uh, discussion for this podcast. Uh, the final comment I had was from a Twitter DM from a Darren Lashford. He said, "Hi, I just wanted to say I think I think your pod, your podcasts are great. My missus has got to the point now where she's fed up with hearing your voice because she's always in the car when I play the Villa podcast. Keep it up and good luck." So I just want to apologise to, uh, was it Darren? Yeah, Darren's missus, who's probably been sat in the car for the last hour thinking, <laughs> when is this rubbish going to end? Apologies uh, for our, our dull voices droning on. Uh, but hopefully the rest of you enjoyed this Clarent Blue podcast. Um, Pat, thank you very much for the hour of your time Absolutely. this Monday morning. Um, for those that are watching this afterwards, uh, get involved, answer your questions. Uh, yeah, give your answers to these questions as well in the comment section on YouTube below. And I'll, uh, I'll read through those as always. Um, we might be back with another podcast later in the week, but if not, it'll be uh, next week looking ahead to the Leeds game. Thank you very much for watching the show. Thanks, Pat, for your time as always, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. <laughs> <laughs>